Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray now for you to help us as we go into your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to enlighten our eyes, to be able to see your truth, and to be able to draw from Scripture your encouragement to us, your word to us this morning. Oh Lord, we pray for you to be glorified and for your church to be built up through the biblical preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are wrapping up our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's really our normal practice here at HCC, uh, is to just preach through books, usually going back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament books. So after a couple of messages that we're going to do for Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to uh, start a new series through an Old Testament book. We're going to look at the book of Malachi. So I look forward to that new series coming up. Now, we called this sermon series Foundations of a Flourishing Church because 1 Thessalonians offers for us a snapshot of a relatively healthy, flourishing church, a church that the Apostle Paul planted himself and one that he cares deeply for. And despite the mounting opposition and persecution that they faced, which caused the Apostle Paul to cut his stay short um, and also cut off his opportunity to disciple them in the faith, yet the Lord was gracious to this new church and their foundation was strong. This fledgling church continued to grow in faith and to grow for itself a reputation for brotherly love and generosity. Now, in this letter we've been studying, Paul explains that he was worried for them. He was worried that all of their afflictions might result in a shipwreck of faith. And so he had sent Timothy to go check on them. And upon Timothy's return with a good report, Paul now pens this letter in order to express his thankfulness and affection for the Thessalonians. So unlike other letters, He's not correcting false teaching. He's not confronting bad behavior. He's mainly encouraging believers and encouraging them with constant reminders that all the wrongs that they're experiencing will be righted when Christ returns. And all that they are searching for and striving for in their salvation will be completed on that glorious day. Now, we've seen how so far Every single chapter in this book has ended with a reference to the second coming of Christ. And chapter 5 is no different. The eighth and final reference to Christ's return is here in verse 23, and it's mentioned within a concluding prayer. And Paul likes to do that in his letters. Like He'll just suddenly shift from addressing his audience to directly addressing God in prayer. And we saw him do something earlier, um, uh, do something like that earlier in, at the end of chapter 3. There he prayed to God to, quote, "...establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints." So, as you could tell... That's the same sort of prayer as we find in our text this morning. In light of Christ's return, Paul is praying for their holiness. He is praying that they be kept blameless in holiness. He's praying for their sanctification. That, my friends, 
is that lifelong process by which God, through His Spirit, conforms us more and more into the likeness of His Son. Now, back in chapter 4, Paul explained that sanctification, our conformity to the image of Christ in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, that that is the will of God. God's will, His eternal purpose, His divine decree, His ordained plan is for every believer in Christ to be sanctified completely, to be made perfect in the image of Christ. Now just consider that. Consider that in light of the Bible's clear testimony that God's will will always be done. No purpose of God's can ever be thwarted. If he plans it, it will occur. If he decrees it, it will happen. So if God's will is for your sanctification, for you to be blameless in holiness, then you will be blameless in holiness. There's no question about it. There's no doubt that it's going to happen. Now that's a blessed assurance if you think about it. That, that, that is such an encouraging thought, especially when you consider how hard it is to actually change, how hard it is to actually grow in holiness. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think each of us would admit that there are habitual sins in our lives that have plagued us for years. Who knows how many times we've confessed these sins? Who knows how many times we've repented of them, how many times we've said to ourselves that this time things are going to change. But sadly, they often don't. We continue to struggle with the same sins year after year. That selfish pride, that bitter envy, that faithless anxiety, that hurtful tongue, that untamable anger, or that unquenchable lust. The persistent struggle with habitual sins is a common experience for Christians. Now, if you thought you were the only one, at least be encouraged to know just how common it is, how hard it is for all of us to change, for all Christians to grow in holiness. You know, I I guess being told that is as encouraging as being told a year ago that all of us are susceptible to COVID. I mean, it's good to know we're not alone, but it's still demoralizing to have to live through a pandemic. Well, I think in the same way, it is good to know that all of us struggle with habitual sins, but it's still demoralizing to know that we are going to have to deal with the same sinful propensities in our life, no matter how old we get. But this is why, my friends, this is why Paul's prayer here in our text needs to be studied and really to be adopted into our own prayer lives. I think what we need is a better grasp of sanctification, of of the biblical teaching of sanctification. You know, those of us in Christ, we are told, are called to be holy and to live a blameless life. That is God's will for us. 
And we can take comfort, as we said before, that God's will will be done, especially when Jesus returns. But what can we expect until that day comes? What can we expect each and every day forward? What is God's role in uh, the work of sanctification? And what is our role? Those, my friends, are the questions that I hope to address this morning. So let's consider three observations that we can learn about your sanctification. First, your sanctification is a work in progress. Second, your sanctification is a work you are called to do. And third, your sanctification is a work that God will surely complete. So let's look at the first thing we are to observe about your sanctification, that it is a work in progress. Sanctification is not a one-time event that occurs in your life, like your justification. Your justification was that moment in time when God declared you to be righteous in his eyes because of your union with his son. You went from alienated and estranged from God to being in a right relationship with him. And that happened at your conversion to Christ. That happened when you turned from your sins and you trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. That's your justification. That is a one-time event. And it's typically what we mean when we speak of being saved or becoming a Christian. We're talking about this moment-in-time conversion. But your sanctification, it's a bit different. Your sanctification is a work in progress. It's the process where you incrementally grow more and more like Christ. And that process begins the moment you're converted, and it's not completed until the second coming. It's what we typically mean when we speak of spiritual growth or growing in holiness. Now, I want to show you that these concepts are actually here in our text. So let me read to you verse 23 and see if you can pick it up. Verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the emphasis of that prayer is clearly on their sanctification. Paul is praying for them to be sanctified completely and for their whole spirit, soul, and body to be kept blameless when Christ returns. So in other words, he's asking God to wholly sanctify the whole person for each of these believers in the church. But notice with me how the prayer is that they be kept blameless. Well, if they have to be kept blameless, then that implies that they already were blameless. So, so you know, if you were trying to, uh, to keep your car spotless, well, that implies that your car already is spotless. There was a moment in time where it was cleansed and it was made spotless. Well, in the same way, there was a moment in time when the sinner was cleansed and made blameless. And so, friends, in one sense, if you are a Christian, you already are blameless. 
We could even speak of you having been sanctified as something in the past tense. Scripture actually speaks of sanctification at times in the past tense. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, the author says, quote, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have been sanctified. That's past tense. And it occurred, we're told, through the offering of Jesus' body that is on the cross once for all. It was a once-in-a-moment sort of event. When sanctification is spoken of in this past tense, it's referring to what we often call positional sanctification. This aspect of our sanctification relates to the idea of being set apart from the world and being consecrated unto God. And it takes place, as we said, at at the moment of your conversion. You are made holy when you are converted to Christ. Not in the sense of being made morally perfect, but in the sense of being set apart for the Lord. And so it's really the same way um, when Scripture speaks of holy ground or a holy day or the holy place. They're holy, not in the sense of moral perfection, but in terms of being set apart, being different from ordinary ground or ordinary days or ordinary places. They have been consecrated by God and for God. And that's what it means when the Bible says that Christians have been sanctified. We are a set-apart people. We are a holy people, not, again, in the sense of being morally perfect, but in the fact that God already sees us as holy in Christ. We are positionally holy in his eyes. And that's why when Paul writes to churches, he always addresses church members as saints, which literally means holy ones. Now, to be honest, I don't know about you, but I find it quite awkward to be called a saint. I don't feel worthy of that label. I mean, if someone was to call me Saint Jason, I just, I would laugh at that. I wouldn't take it seriously. But just take Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as an example. There he addresses his letter in the first chapter to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, past tense, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, friends, if you know anything about the church in Corinth and how unhealthy it was and how divided its members were and how arrogant they had become, you would be encouraged that Paul is still willing to call them saints. Because we're really no better than they are. And so if the Corinthians can be called saints, then so can we. If they are holy ones, then so are we. We are positionally holy before God by means of our union with his son, Jesus. So positional sanctification is an aspect of our sanctification that took place in the past, in a particular moment in time. But sanctification 
must also be understood as an ongoing work in progress. And we call this progressive sanctification. That's what really verse 23 is focusing on. We were already made blameless in the past when we were justified in Christ, but now we must be kept blameless. We already are holy in Christ, but now we must grow in holiness. We must complete our sanctification. That's called progressive sanctification. Now, note in verse 23 that the implication there is that our sanctification is not yet complete. That's what Paul prays. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You see, when, when, when your sanctification will one day be complete, then, and only then, will you perfectly resemble Christ in all of his moral perfections. But until then, every Christian is experiencing progressive sanctification. It's a daily process with the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. So again, positionally, you have been set apart for God as a saint, even if you don't feel like one. And now progressively, you need to grow up and you need to mature into a person worthy of that label, worthy to be called a saint. Now let's just consider an illustration to help bring this home. Uh, Think of the parable of the prodigal son. When he deserted his family and, uh, and, and left his home, positionally, he was considered lost and dead to the family. But when he returned in repentance, his position was immediately changed from dead to alive, from lost to found. He was positionally restored as a son to his father. The very instant the father's robe was draped over his shoulders. And the very instant the family ring was slipped onto his finger. But do you realize that underneath that robe, he was likely still wearing tattered clothes that were stained by, by mud from a pigsty. And, and, and the hand that, that, that bore that ring probably was dirty and, and, and stunk from the, the, the smell of, of, of slop that he fed the swine. So progressively, he needed to be cleansed and changed with a literal bath and change of clothes. But he also, now from this point on, needed to grow up and to mature as a son within his father's household, to grow up into a son worthy of of trust and responsibility. And that's not going to be instantaneous. It's going to take some time. It's going to be a work in progress. While his position in his father's house is now secure as a son, he still has a whole lot of growing up to do. Well, brothers and sisters, the same could be said of us. Our position before God the Father is secure because we are united with God the Son through faith. We are now adopted children of God That is our positional holiness. But we still have a whole lot of growing up to do. We must continue to mature in our progressive holiness. And that leads to our second observation. Not only is your sanctification a work in progress, it's also a work 
you are called to do. We saw how, in a progressive sense, our sanctification won't be instantaneous. There's no expectation that God is just going to one day zap you with maturity. It's not that simple. There's work that has to be done. You're going to have to contribute if you expect to grow in holiness. This is the work you're called to. Notice that language of calling there in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He's calling you. Calling you to what? Well, we just have to look back at chapter 4, verse 7. And there, Paul tells us that God is calling you in holiness. He calls you to live a life of holiness. That's the work that you are called to do as a Christian, to progressively grow in your holiness. But just as it's not in instantaneous growth, it's important to stress that your progressive sanctification is also not a steadily exponential growth. I, I think that's a myth that we really need to bust. Because I think too many Christians assume that sanctification is this continuous process of growth in an upwards direction. They assume that the normal Christian experience is to exponentially increase in holiness day by day, year by year. But the reality is much more complicated. In the course of your Christian life, there are going to be seasons of increase, but also seasons of decrease and seasons where you plateau, where, where there is no discernible increase or decrease in your holiness, where you, you feel stuck. But in the end, in the end, we take comfort in knowing <clears throat> that God's will, <clears throat> excuse me, that God's will will be done. So if his will is for your sanctification, then you know that in the big picture, in the long run, there will be an overall pattern of increase. But along the way, along the way, it might be a bumpy ride with more seasons of decrease and plateauing than you assume so right now. I mean, just, just think about the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So, you know, when I check the, uh, the, the, you know, the stock exchange app on my phone, it gives you, uh, you know, various options for uh, different scales on, on how to view the average. So if you look at the, uh, the one-day average or, you know, um, uh, you know the, the one-week average, it, it might be red. You know, it, it might indicate a decrease. But if you scale back, you know, you know to one week or, or to one month, it, it still might be the same story. But if you scale further back to maybe three months or six months, one year or, or, or a two-year average, well, then you might see green. There might then be on the scale an overall pattern of increase in growth. So later today, if you were to you know, check the Dow Jones one-year average, what you're going to see is a fairly steady increase with only you know, small ups and downs along the way. But it only looks that way on the scale if you realize that what's not being shown is that huge crash that happened in the beginning of March of last year when our country went on lockdown due to the pandemic. And so we're experiencing, from a one-year vantage point, a steady increase because there was such a dr dramatic decrease. And so I think this is a, a good, helpful illustration for understanding 
your progressive sanctification. Because in the Christian life, you have to realize there could be crashes. There are seasons where your spiritual vigor and passion for God just takes a nosedive, where you're more susceptible to temptations and you're just feeling more overwhelmed by sin and shame. But again, our comfort is knowing that God's will will be done. And so if he wills to complete your sanctification, then you know that if you were to somehow be able to scale back all the way to the entirety of your life, well, then there will be, by God's will and grace, an overall pattern of increase and growth. Friends, if you don't have a category in your mind for ups and downs, for even crashes within your progressive sanctification, if you were just expecting a a steady exponential growth in holiness, then you're going to be sorely disappointed and disillusioned when you experience the opposite in your Christian walk. And so that's why it's so important that we have a sound grasp of the biblical teaching of progressive sanctification, that we understand that it's not instantaneous, and it's not steadily exponential. Instead, we should see our sanctification as a hard work that we are called to do and to steadily do it even if we are going through a season of decrease. So in other words, you can't just sit back and passively wait for God to make you holier. You know, it was back in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, where we saw Paul say that your sanctification is the will of God. Well, from that point on in the text, did, did you notice how he issues plenty of commands and for, for us to obey in order for us to work out our sanctification? And in just last week's text, in verses uh, 12 to 22, there was a whole litany of commands that we are to obey if we want to grow in holiness. Now, I think it's even harder to see it in our text, but in the final few verses of our passage that's closing out this letter, there are actually three examples of what you can do to work out your sanctification. So listen to verses 25 to 27. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So notice here that we have a call to prayer, to fellowship, and to the reading of Scripture. Now, verse 25 is an obvious call to pray for one another. Look in verse 26. There Paul mentions a standard form of greeting back in those days where you would kiss someone on the cheek. Um, But you know, it was an expression in biblical times that was really reserved for close friends or family. And yet here, Paul is encouraging that kind of affection and fellowship to be shared between members of the church. Because in Christ, we really are family. We truly are brothers and sisters. And he describes it as a holy kiss because our fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ is really set apart from ordinary relationships, even relationships with our blood brothers and blood sisters. That's what makes this kiss holy. That's what makes this fellowship that we share in Christ set apart and different. 
Now, in verse 27, he's uh, commanding the leaders of the church to read this letter he's writing to the entire congregation when they assemble. And that became really a practice in the early church where Paul's letters were recognized to possess apostolic authority. So in their worship services in the early church, there would typically be a reading from the Old Testament scriptures, and then someone else would take uh, an epistle of Paul or maybe a letter from another apostle and read that in parallel with the Old Testament scripture. And that communicated the early church's implicit understanding that Paul's letters are a part of Holy Scripture on par with the Old Testament. So, I, I know it seems fairly basic, but as we see here, the biblical prescription for growing in holiness is to commit yourself to prayer, to Christian fellowship, and to the reading of Scripture, both in private devotion and in corporate worship when the church gathers. Now, for some, I know that's going to sound just way too obvious and too simple. They have this impression that sanctification involves some kind of mystical approach or, or that it requires advanced spiritual discipline. You know, prayer, fellowship, Bible reading, I mean, come on, that's just too simple. Even, even a child could do that. But that's the point, isn't it? We have, I think, a tendency to, to try to complicate matters. We use big theological words like sanctification, and you know, it makes it sound like it's you know, just something for advanced Christians. But just remember, progressive sanctification is really just a $10 word for spiritual growth. Every Christian, from the smallest child who believes, is meant to grow spiritually, is meant to grow progressively more sanctified. And the practice of prayer, fellowship, and Bible reading are essential to that work. So let me just ask you, which one of these three do you need to give more attention to in your own sanctification? And once you identify one of these to work on, why don't you see if there's another believer in your small group, another believer in the congregation who, who wants to work out your sanctification together, sharpening one another, keeping one another accountable. Sanctification is really a, a group project. It's something that we do together along with the Holy Spirit. But as you dedicate yourself to the task of working out your sanctification, friends, it's essential to remember that it's really the Holy Spirit who is going to complete it. It's really God who is going to bring it to completion. And that's really the heart of Paul's prayer here. That's the third thing. And the final thing we're going to observe about uh, our sanctification. It is a work that God will surely complete. Look at verse 24 again. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, our second observation was that your sanctification is a work that you have to do. But ultimately and fundamentally, it is a work that God will surely do. So in other words, God is going to work through your work. He's going to work through your work. His work is foundational and essential to your work ever coming to completion. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, there Paul tells believers to, quote, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now note there the similar emphasis. Notice how the reason why you can work out your own salvation is because it is God who is working in you. He is working through your work. He's working out his good pleasure in your life, and that is foundational to your sanctification. Earlier in Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul similarly stressed the faithfulness of God to complete whatever he started. He will surely do it. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that day of Jesus Christ is really the same thing as the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return. So Paul in Philippians is identical to Paul in 1 Thessalonians, praying for the whole spirit and soul and body of the saints to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, church, just think about what that means especially for those of us discouraged by how little spiritual growth we've experienced so far. We thought we'd be further along by now in our holiness, in our growth and godliness, in our struggle with those nagging habitual sins. We're ashamed by the meager amount of spiritual fruit that we have to show. But if God is working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, if he is faithful to always bring to completion the good work that he started in us, if he will surely complete our sanctification and keep us blameless, then rest assured, for no matter how far you get along in your progressive sanctification, at the coming of the Lord, you will arrive at perfect sanctification. Your sanctification will be perfected, will be complete. When Christ appears, Scripture says, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll be caught up in the clouds and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. We will be perfected in spirit and soul and body in our whole person we will finally be like Christ. You know, this image of Christ suddenly appearing on the scene in a glorious return and instantaneously ending all of our struggles and and completing our sanctification, you know, that just makes me think of those epic scenes in the Lord of the Rings movies. And you know I was going to go there again. I I, I just love the, 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 the movies and the books And I'm thinking about those scenes where um, either Gandalf uh, suddenly returns with the riders of Rohan or Aragorn returns with the army of the dead or the eagles just come swooping in to save the day. And instantaneously, the tide is turned in the battle. And the good guys who were previously on the brink of defeat are suddenly the victors and the battle is suddenly complete. Now, I know critics at the time 
pan those particular aspects of the films. They, they, they were considered to be you know, too convenient plot devices, wrapping up scenes too quickly and just shortchanging the audience. You know, we, we didn't get to see the, the full struggle of the main characters. You know, the, their final victory just came too quickly once a, a missing character appeared on the scene. But that's the point, isn't it? That's our blessed hope. Critics from the outside will find fault. But for those of us on the inside, those of us in the midst of the epic struggle for holiness in this life, our only hope is that one day soon, a missing character will appear and wrap things up very quickly. We long for his return to complete our holiness and to perfect our sanctification. Let's pray for that return. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come sooner than we expect that you may bring to completion this struggle, this striving, this work of sanctification, that you will bring us to perfection, that we might resemble you fully in thought, word, and deed, that our whole self, our whole person might reflect your perfect image. Oh, Lord Jesus, keep us faithful as you are faithful. Keep us persevering, holding on, pressing on, doing the hard work of sanctification, knowing that it is you who ultimately is working in us to bring it to completion. Help us to rest in that comforting thought. In your name, O oh Jesus, we pray. Amen.